Thank you very much, and good morning, everyone. This is Preacher Bill Gilliland at First Christian Church here in Covington, and it's a delight for us to be with you this morning and to bring you encouragement and a challenge from God's Word. We've had a very uh, snowy and cold weekend, and I know probably our radio audience this morning is a little larger than it normally is because of so many who are unable to get out, and you know about our broadcast, and we appreciate the fact that you are, are tuning in. And if we can bless you or help you in any way, call on us and we'll do our very best. But for right now, let's go to God's Word. Let's consider the Christian life as it really is. I'm going to begin a series of messages this morning that I have entitled Collide. You know, uh, there's nothing new about the battle that the world has with God's people and vice versa. Uh, we live in that kind of a society, and those who want to stand for the Lord and live according to his dictates are constantly being challenged by worldliness. Uh, the attraction and the addiction of the world's philosophies is nothing new, and they've been around forever. Uh, we have so many examples in God's Word, the heroes of the faith who had to stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with the enemies of God and, and those who lived for the world, that hasn't changed. And we're going to be looking at some of the uh, themes of this idea of the collision that God's people constantly have. Today, I'd like for us to uh, take the challenge that we need to stand firm as God's people. Uh, since the very beginning, the Christian faith has been on a collision course with the culture that is around us. In, in the scriptures, in fact, this course of culture of the world is referred to as the world. This uh, word, this Greek word cosmos, which can also identify the ball, the big ball upon which all of us exist that uh, that rotates every day and circulates the sun. Uh, this word cosmos is also used in Scripture to describe the present condition of human affairs in alienation from and in opposition to God. And that's right out of Vine's complete expository dictionary of biblical words. Uh, the world. It's the present condition of human affairs in alienation from and in opposition to God. For example, when the Bible in John chapter 3, verse 16, the golden verse of the Bible says that God loved the world so much that he gave his only son, that word, that word world, cosmos, refers to this rebellious and hell-bent culture that we live in. Uh, the culture that is opposed to loving God and keeping his commandments. For example, in the book of James, chapter 4, and verse 4 in the New Testament, this very practical letter that the half-brother of Jesus wrote, James says in, in James 4, 4, don't you know that friendship with the world means en enmity with God? In other words, if you're going to be a friend of the world, then you are you just actually become an enemy of God's. Two different cultures, two different aims, 
two different purposes. The values of the world do not line up with the values of our faith. Uh, the priorities of the world do not align with the priorities of our faith. You see, the kingdom of the world is not seeking the same things as the kingdom of God. So, I'd just like to say this. We should not be surprised when we experience conflict and tension in this life, in, in this world. Instead, we really should see the conflict and the tension that we often face as Christians as a confirmation that we are doing the right thing, or at least we're trying to do the right thing. We're leaning toward the right purpose and doctrine. Uh, Jesus, in his ministry, uh, in John chapter 15, verses 18 to 19, John records Jesus speaking with his disciples about this conflict that we're talking about this morning. The conflict that good has with bad in the world, which will bring unrest and, co and conflict. It'll, it'll bring a collision into the life that we're living. And he says in John 15, 18 through 19, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you don't belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Those are great words. Those are, those are words that you and I need as Christians when we seem to be losing ground, facing obstacles that we wonder if we'll ever be able to surmount, presented to us by this world that, that is trying to to force us to go its way rather than God's way. Uh, so when, when, you, uh, when you face these trials, these frictions, these conditions, as Peter says in, in his letter in 1 Peter, don't be surprised when these things come. It's just a natural result of living in, in a world that does not want to follow the Lord. You see, the world tries to water down the glorious gospel of Jesus, even spreads false truths along the way. Being aware of this is not enough. I, I have to make a choice to stand firm on the truth of the Lord, the truth of the gospel. So I want to encourage you to, uh, over these next few weeks, get into the rhythm of standing firm on the truth, on the gospel message. Stand firm. When you hear something deceptive or false, declare it as such. And then keep going back to the truth, to the scriptures, to the word of God. You see, uh, the words stand firm, very biblical words, point to the attitudes and the intentions of a person who has made up his or her mind about the course of life that they intend to follow. And they're not going to budge. It's like Joshua said to the children of Israel. Uh, you, you decide what course of life you're going to take, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Stand firm. Um, in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 58, we hear those words. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. 
Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Stand firm. We hear the same words Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 15. He says, So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. And, of course, those letters that Paul wrote and those sermons that he preached became Scripture. They became what we have uh, between the covers of the Word of God. Stand firm. Hold fast. Ephesians chapter 6 at verse 14, we hear the words again. Paul says, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Of course, this is the scripture over in Ephesians 6 where he uh, gives the, the articles of what we call the Christian armor. Uh, why would we put on an armor? Because we're on a collision course with the world, because we're soldiers of the cross, right? But you see that conflict even shows up in some of these most familiar passages of Scripture. And so Paul says you're, you need to be firm. Stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around you because that, that belt of truth is what's going to keep you in line with your convictions. Um, the belt of truth it reminds us that we are different, we're special, we're uh, following a different standard. You remember he also includes what he refers to as the shield of faith. Uh, the shield of faith is what we use to repel the accusations, the temptations, the schemes of the world, uh, the darts of Satan, as, as the scripture refers to, because he is our enemy. At the end of the message, I'm going to share a scripture where Paul says we don't fight with the weapons of the world. We fight with God's weapons. Uh, but we fight. We have to fight. We have to stand firm, not give ground. A, a, a key verse in this series uh, that I, I'm going to be using is Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8. And you might, you might want to mark that in your Bible, so I'll go back and read it again. Uh, in Colossians uh, chapter 2 and verse 8, the Apostle Paul says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Now, I want to dwell on the, this verse a little bit this morning. Uh, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. The, he's talking about the world's teachings, which are always circular and always coming back to each other. Uh, if you've ever taken a philosophy class, uh, maybe you were like me, you realize the futility of a human philosophy because it, it just goes in circles and it never reaches a destination or a point. And Paul says, don't let anybody take you captive with that type of teaching. I remember reading a story about a liberal, humanistic, atheistic college professor who was lecturing his students one day about the futility of believing in a personal God who could not be realized by the human senses. And so he, he faced the class and he asked, 
Have any of you ever seen God with your eyes? Have any of you ever touched God? Have any of you ever actually been exposed to God? No, he said. Therefore, God does not exist. And he then said, I challenge any of you to refute what I've said. And there was a long, long pause. No one said anything. And then a student raised his hand. And he stood and faced the class and said, Have any of you ever seen our professor's brain? Have any of you ever touched our professor's brain? Have any of you ever been personally exposed to our professor's brain? And then he said, based on our professor's logic, our professor's brain does not exist. Based on the story that I read, the student received an A for his remark. I hope he did, because it was a good refutation. And I use this story to help us identify what the Apostle Paul refers to as hollow and deceptive philosophy. This is the course of our world, (coughs) dear friend. So I urge you to take this to heart. Please remember that worldly values are deficient. In other words, using Paul's word, they're hollow. They're empty. The Greek word here that he uses is the Greek word kenos. And it describes the absence of that which otherwise might be possessed. It's empty. Uh, This word is a very important word in Scripture. In in Ephesians 5 and verse 6, Paul says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Empty words, hollow words. And God gets angry with these hollow, worldly, carnal words that are used against us. In James chapter 2 and verse 20, James writes and says, You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without works is useless? But the word is that kenos. It's, do, do you not realize or do you need evidence that faith without deeds or works is useless? And we love that subject, don't we? But he's talking about a hollowness here. If, if, if you maintain or say that you maintain a faith, but you don't back it up with what you do, your faith is hollow. It's empty. Again, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14, the Apostle Paul is arguing for the validity of believing in the resurrected Christ. The whole chapter, you remember, talks about the resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus and and the belief in the resurrection that we have because of Jesus. And in verse 14 of that chapter, he says, If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. And that's that Greek word, kenos. If Christ hasn't raised from the dead, then our preaching and our faith are empty. They're hollow. So please, dear friends, remember that These worldly values and philosophies, they're empty. 
They don't contain anything that will get you through this life and certainly won't get you into the eternal bliss that God has promised his faithful people. Not only are these values of the world hollow and empty, they're also inconsistent. They're inconsistent. You know, the world says, follow your heart. Uh, Do what makes you happy. But Jeremiah, the prophet, writes in Jeremiah 17 and verse 9 and says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And it's true. You know, the, uh, the human heart, especially the heart that's not maintained and guided by the Holy Spirit of God, it's deceitful. It will, it will tell you and promise you things that could never come true. Who can understand it? Uh, who can depend upon the human heart? And, and you know, that's true, dear friends. Uh, it con- consider that what might bring a sense of happiness to, to you today will often change or it'll be gone by tomorrow. Happiness is, is short-lived. Happiness depends on present circumstances and conditions. So when, when the world says, oh, you just need to be happy, the world is asking you to take a journey that you don't want to take because every day there will be a change. Uh, these things change quicker than the seasons do. As the bald man once said, hair today, gone tomorrow. And that's the way these uh, short happiness spurts will take us. Now, what Jesus wants for us is true joy. And, and that's something that, that we have over, over a period of time, long-lived. John fifteen eleven, Jesus says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Our, our daily happiness must be found in more than ideal circumstances and conditions, but rather our daily happiness needs to come upon the assurance of future and eternal conditions which we would refer to as joy. It's it's interesting that in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' sermon in Matthew 5 through 7, Jesus began that message with what we often refer to as the Beatitudes, uh, godly attitudes, if you will, that point to permanent blessings. And he uses a word there in the Beatitudes that is often translated blessed, But in some translations, uh, that word is translated happy. And and I think that's significant here in Jesus' sermon because he says uh, things like, happiness, happy are those who are down, uh, poor in spirit, uh, who are at the end of their rope uh, because they will be the ones who will be able to find God's help in the long run. He, He says, Happy are those who suffer loss or mourn because they will be the ones who can find real comfort, not artificial comfort that the world might offer. You see, happiness in the present is based upon a permanent relationship that supersedes and overcomes the present circumstances that we face. And the the whole Sermon on the Mount basically is Jesus' approach to show us the truths of these things so that we don't follow the world. And at the close of this Sermon on the Mount, 
in verses 24 through 27 of chapter 7, Jesus concludes with the beautiful illustration. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house upon a rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. And the rain came and, and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. I love that story. Dear friend, if your system of values does not begin and end with Christ, then you need to investigate your list of values. Now, I want to say a couple more things uh, before we close here uh, about these worldly values that uh, we are often in conflict with. Uh, worldly values are seductive. In other words, they're enticing, they're attractive. Uh, not only are they seductive, but they, they, they become destructive if, if we maintain them. Uh, in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 7, uh, the Apostle Paul is talking about people who have followed the ways of the world. And he says, they're always learning, but they're never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. And in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, and this is the last letter that Paul wrote, and he predicts that some evil times are going to come. And he says in verses 3 and 4, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. And they will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Now, this was his prediction, and this, of course, has come true. So many have gone away and gone astray from the true teachings of Scripture because they just didn't want to stay with sound teaching and sound doctrine. They, they wanted their ears tickled, and therefore they found somebody who would tell them that what they were doing was okay. That You see, worldliness asks you to find someone or something, some doctrine, uh, some teaching that will agree with the way you want to live. It's, it's the exact reverse order of how the Scripture says we need to be aligned with God and his teachings. In John 10 and verse 10, Jesus said concerning the devil, he says, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The devil wants to destroy you and your faith, dear friend. And, and what the devil can't fully destroy, he will seek to distract. He'll, he'll want to distract you. He will try to steal your time your treasure, uh, your attention. Uh, he, wants, he wants to make all of that happen. Uh, worldly values 
are seductive because the devil makes them look attractive. It's like the the wolf in sheep's clothing, right? I would like to challenge you today to follow the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John 14, 16 through 17, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him. For he lives with you and will be in you. And dear friend, if you're a Christian today, the Lord has given you his Holy Spirit to guide you into all truth. I hope you'll stand firm on that which you accepted, that which you pledged, your life in Jesus. If you're not a Christian and you're living in the world and for the world and for the devil, then you need to change your life. You need Jesus. But it needs to be a decision that will keep you firm in him. Uh, Stand firm. Stand firm. Dear friend, live for Jesus. Follow his teachings. Let the Spirit guide you into all truth. Thank you for listening today. God bless you. Let's pray together. Lord, uh, we've come to the end of this message and time has run short, but I just ask that you will speak through your spirit to the hearts and minds of those who are listening. Help them. If they're going through rough spots in their life, help them to find a firm foundation in Jesus. Help them to resolve today to build their lives upon the rock. We praise you and we thank you and And I pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.